<laughs> so I'll wait for John. I'll start talking as John pulls up the first slide. Hopefully you can see it. Ooh! Okay, so we're in this. We, we have some visitors here today. We've been, uh, our sermon series this summer is just talking through gospel stories. And so we have the freedom to pick those out. And if you're a guest, I'm going to apologize to you directly because I'm not a very linear thinker. And I'm not going to apologize to the people that already know me because they already know this about me um, and accept me for who I am. But, <laughs> but I wanted to talk about the story where Peter gets reinstated today by Jesus. But it really doesn't have much to do with Peter being reinstated. It has everything to do with uh, the commands that Jesus reinstates Peter with. And that's why I put feed my lambs because he's like, do you love me? You know the story. Uh, and I, I wanted to talk about this story for a number of reasons, and I'll get into some of them later on. But I, I think the reason I want to talk about it, and the Spirit has been laying on my heart all summer, is I, I love our church. I, I have been here since we used to meet once a month in the BLB on campus at UNT like nine years ago. Um, does anyone remember that as well? Miriam, Josh, Grant. Sterling, Ryan, definitely Leslie Kurt. You know, you were not even born yet. Don't even. <laughs> you were a twinkle in your father's eye. Um, and I, and discipleship has been on my mind, like affection and discipleship has been on my mind. And I feel like the story encompasses both of those things. And I think there's a lot of things that we do really well as a church. We have a lot of hard-earned wisdom here with people being a light in their workplace, uh, with their neighbors, with their families outside of the church. But for inside of the church, what is the next phase for us? And I can't speak to you individually. The Spirit's going to have to speak to you individually about what that is. And the sermon is not brief, so just get really comfortable. Um, yeah, and I just, I want the Spirit to put a spotlight on our own hearts and evaluate what our hearts are doing against Scripture. Not like I'm against Scripture, but comparing those two. Don't compare yourself to people. Compare yourself to Scripture. And I want us to learn from Peter and Jesus in this story. I just get so much adrenaline when I'm up here. And it's bad. And I, this is me trying really hard not to, like, <laughs> just lean into it. And I also want to say, if at any point during the sermon you feel conviction, I think a lot of times conviction is conviction from the spirit is good, uh, but then Satan comes in and is like, let me pile on shame yeah. on top of this, yeah. and then, like, we're going to hide from God, like in the bushes, like Adam and Eve did in the garden. Um, so if shame comes in, I want you to punch shame in the face and say, you get out of here, shame. You don't belong here. Go back to hell from where you came from. And let the conviction work its way in your heart. That way you can actually engage in the next phase of discipleship to Jesus. And I'm speaking from my own experience as well. These are not just things that uh, I think like, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. The question I want to frame this around for us today is, do I love that Jesus loves me? Or do I love Jesus? So evaluate that against the scripture today. And I think the next phase I see in our church for us is I, I think we're really warm. We're warm towards one another. We, we have friendships within the church, which is really great. I think where we're supposed to be. But I do think the spirit is leading us, is always leading us forward, closer to Jesus, closer to the cross. And I want this word, like when you hear me talk about affection for one another in the church, I want you to think like family. Like, do I see these people as my brothers and sisters in Christ? The early church used the language of brothers and sisters, and it was actually very offensive, and people thought that they were like incestuous. I don't know if that's a word. Uh, but engaging in incest because it was so radical. Like to give someone that identity, like you're in my family. Like we are brothers and sisters. And, yeah, so keep that in mind as we move forward. And I think there is a warning here as well. Um, as we develop an affection for each other in a more familial way, it's going to lead us to the cross. A lot of us have some of that pain from our own families. 
and pain is guaranteed. But we must nail our self-righteousness, self-consciousness, self-protection, resentment, and pride to the cross. If we refuse to do that, we will develop distorted affections, which we already have because we have sin, and we will not experience the fullness of life Jesus offers us. And we will not be able to shepherd others to the fullness of life. Sorry. I usually put a timer up here for myself. I already told y'all. I just talk, 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 talk. Grant, baby, will you bring me that water too? <laughs> Thank you so much. Woo! Give it up for my baby. Thank you. That's good. Yeah, so we'll, we'll lean into those distorted affections, and we very well may deconstruct ourselves into abandoning the only good and faithful person in our life, Jesus. The warning is that we will be distorted gospels, feasting on the fruits of the good kingdom while dethroning the king, because we think he's not good enough. So, next slide, please. So I don't have time to read all of these three scriptures, but I wanted to give some pretext of Peter before he gets to this moment of being reinstated by Jesus. So in Mark 8, 27 through 29, Peter is the first person in the disciples to get that Jesus is the Messiah. And I think we all have these moments in our lives that we are like, he is the Christ. He is the anointed one. He's the Savior. He's the Son of God. And that's always really exciting because we're like, finally, I can put a thousand percent of my trust in him. And we follow. And then in Mark 8, 31 through 33, um, this is when Jesus teaches them that he must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter rebuked Jesus. And when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So basically, right after Peter gets that he is the Messiah, Jesus shows Peter that he doesn't get it fully yet. Because in Peter's mind, the Messiah should not suffer. The Messiah should be triumphant right then and there. And I think about how many of us have counseled our friends when they're getting into an uncomfortable situation we just try to help them avoid it, like avoid the pain, avoid the suffering of it, avoid being the peacemaker. And we learn that Peter's image of the Messiah was just not the one that he thought he was. He didn't think he should be rejected by the social leaders, the political leaders, the religious leaders, anyone who was of any importance of the day. And that freaked Peter out so much that he rebuked Jesus because his human concerns trumped the concerns of God. Then we're in Mark 8 again. Mark 8. I think I read the Gospel of Mark with Miriam in college, and she was like, yeah, this one, he's like, he's over here, and then he's over here, and it moves so freaking fast. And I was like, I was like, man, this is a wild ride and an adventure. So if you haven't read Scripture with Miriam, I say go for it. Um, but, yeah, so then Mark 8, 34 through 38. This, again, so you see this in sequence. Jesus is plainly telling them that whoever wants to, to be his disciple, a.k.a. be an actual learner and enact the things he's teaching them, they must first deny themselves, then take up their cross, and then they can follow him. So Jesus is, this is after he talks about the impending crucifixion, and he also informs anyone who wants to be an actual disciple of his must also suffer a crucifixion. And this teaching right there is the heart of the gospel. And actually, our willingness to die to ourselves for the sake of Jesus is what separates admirers of Jesus from disciples of Jesus. In the part of the world we live in, we're likely not going to suffer a martyr's death like Peter eventually did. But increasingly, there's less social benefits to being a part of the church. There's increased hostility. Um, it's taken on a new phrase called Christophobia. Uh, and there's also an increase in responsibility for us as we die to ourselves. And I think we're just going to suffer more metaphorical, but also very spiritual. Like, it, like it has spiritual consequences 
And then Jesus says, this is the way that we find our lives, is to lose it. We're going to suffer these more metaphorical deaths by saying yes to the cross, but there is full life on the other side of it. Next slide, please. So then in John 18, I will read this one. John 18, 4 through 11. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked him, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, Who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, they, they said, Wait, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you were looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it back and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? So not only did Peter rebuke Jesus earlier about the suffering that was coming, he also cut off one of the ears of someone who belonged to the high priest. Peter, defending Jesus' honor with what he thought was righteous, revolutionary anger, cut off someone's ear. And again, Jesus corrected him. Jesus dying was messing with Peter's whole worldview of what it meant to be a follower of the Messiah. And then, of course, not much later, Peter denies Jesus three times. Jesus, his, like one of his closest, closest friends who he knew was the anointed one, Jesus who died a humiliating, excruciating, literally that's where we get the word, you know, excruciating comes from the crucifixion, unjust death based on lies. Jesus who died for Peter and Peter's enemies was rejected and was rejected by Peter. Peter's love for Jesus was in question now. How could Jesus die for someone who abandoned him? How could Jesus die for his enemies, the ones who killed him? And as we'll see moving forward, it's love and a joy for those people. And that's the story. Uh, that's not the, this leads us to the story we're going to camp out in today. But we're not going to read it all at once. We'll read a little bit as we move forward. Next slide, please. So, John 21, 15. After breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, master, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Remember the question, do you love that Jesus loves you or do you love Jesus back? And I have a question for us. If Jesus walked into this room, how, this metaphor, like, like rhetorical, don't raise your hand. But um, I, knew, I knew Ezra's would. I knew it. Um, if Jesus walked into this room, how many of us would fall down, worship him at his feet, call him master, and pour out our intimate affection for him the way Peter did with him? When Jesus came back, it says in scripture that Thomas, quote unquote, doubted. But the translation of that word means that he stood at a distance from Jesus. How many of us would stand at a distance questioning, theorizing, skepticizing, jazzercising? Um, <laughs> that was a pity laugh, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> Jessica goes, <laughs> How many of you are like, yeah, but is that him? I don't know. I don't know. Would he be wearing that kind of robe? Like... I, I just, we, we live in a college town, a very, like, elitist college town, which is kind of funny because Denton's pretty gross, but, and I say that with much affection for this city. I would be rejected in Plano, for sure. Um, to love Jesus or anyone requires affection and intimacy in action. Feed my lambs. So what does it mean to feed his lambs? Who are his lambs? 
And I want to emphasize today the lambs and sheep of this church because I do think, like, out of everyone I know here, people really are lights in workplace ministry, which is hard-earned wisdom, and you don't find that in a lot of churches. But we don't have this super deep familial love with one another yet. Corporately. There's pockets of it, but corporately. We're comfortable. We're warm. We'll engage. But how often do we really let people into what's going on? And how often do we really ask what's really going on? And as someone who is pretty comfortable here, I've been here since the beginning of time, it, it really took me a while <laughs> to see this. But, like, you just, you just, you hear from people. And for the last year or two, there are several people here, people whom I would have never expected, who are profoundly lonely. They feel like they're an interruption to other people's lives. They're so self-conscious. It robs them of any joy or empowerment to initiate with others. Especially the ones of us, I'm speaking primarily to those of us who are like in our 30s, near our 30s, who have been here for that long time. They feel unwelcome to be their whole selves because in the spirit of honesty, some of the more opinionated ones of us, I am a grade A opinionated person, I am included, sometimes thoughtlessly tear down groups of people that others really value and care about. Our enemy is a prowling lion waiting to ensnare us and destroy us. The enemy of invisible divisiveness has people by the throats here in this building. And I love those people. God loves them and died for them. And Jesus asked us to feed them. And for the skeptics among us whose first line in their mind is some defense, who think, oh, they're just being subjective. You're talking about feelings. First of all, why is that your first thought and not like, man, an image bearer who looks like Jesus in my own church and my own family feels that way? And it's several people, okay? Multiple times, mul multiple instances, multiple interactions. And second of all, those of us who are rooted, deeply rooted here, we ought to bear with those who are suffering and be a warm welcome home sign. Not just a warm welcome sign, a warm welcome home sign. Not Christian light RBF. I'll talk to you after. <laughs> I knew you'd get there. Justin, RBF, Whitaker, everybody. <laughs> that, that name's probably going to stick. I do apologize. Um, and why are we so concerned with enemies out there when the enemy is inside of our own church? Sin is in each of us. The line of good and evil is not a line that you step over. It's drawn down the middle of each of us. Yeah. And hopefully you guys remember Drew's sermon about Mary and Martha. One thing is needed. Sit at the feet of Jesus. Yep. Personal renewal leads to corporate renewal, guys. And I wonder sometimes if we spend so much time outside of the church with other people... Because to get closer to the people here would require us to sacrifice the surface level comfort we can predict and control. Because we see each other every week. People outside the church, we don't necessarily have to see them all the time or we see them in a work setting where things are professional. But with ongoing family, like your weaknesses are going to be on display. Yeah. Lambs are cared for with tenderness. Do you cultivate a tenderness in your heart here for others? That is certainly not my first instinct. So I'm also, I'm talking about myself. And lambs need to be fed. What bread are you giving? Metaphorically speaking, is it a zebra cake? Temporarily satisfying, but no nutrients. I say that as someone who really likes zebra cakes, but they make me feel sick. And there are times when Jesus physically fed people 
nourish them by healing them. There's times where he says that he is the bread of life and that man does also not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What bread do we offer? Is it bread that, is, that can sustain? Is it words of life? Is it from the mouth of God or conventional wisdom? Next slide. So John 21, 16. He then asked a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, master, you know I love you, Jesus said. Shepherd my sheep. Up here it says, tend my flock. Shepherd my sheep. So he asked Peter this a second time. To shepherd goes beyond just feeding or sharing resources. To shepherd is an ongoing labor of love and care. There's some really funny videos of shepherds and their sheep on YouTube if you want to look them up later. Um, but sheep are like stubborn and wild. And if you know yourself, you're also stubborn and wild. Claire says, like, not me. I'm not. <laughs> Adam is. <laughs> Here's some more. I'm going to, like, spit some sheep facts about you. Not about you. About all of us. About sheep. It's metaphorical, but also this is about actual sheep. Okay. Anyway, sheep don't always know what food is, what food is actual food. They'll kind of just get into anything. So they'll eat things that are really harmful to them, like poisonous plants. They'll get cornered by predators because they wander off. They run away when it's time for them to get a haircut, a.k.a. sheared, uh, and that haircut's really good for them. They can be prone to infections from insect bites and medical injuries, coyotes, wolves, mountain lions, bears, domestic dogs are more of a threat than those other things, if you can believe that. So they are in danger often. Sometimes lambs get isolated when a predator corners the mother sheep, and then the lambs get killed too. Shepherds are a different kind of farmer. My grandpa has a farm in Louisiana, and he has, like, so many cows and, like, chickens and uh, guineas, and the neighbor's dog comes over, too. And, like, it's mostly kind of, they kind of take care of themselves for the most part. Like, you definitely have to get involved. But shepherds, like, they will get a mobile home in the pasture, and whenever the sheep are done grazing there, they will move their home with the sheep. Like, they are in it. They work for the sheep. They exist to protect the sheep from predators. They know how to do some vet stuff, like administering medicine or, or even stitches. They help the mother sheep give birth in the middle of the night. They guide them to safety, safe food, safe shelter, safe grouping. They are searched for if one wanders off, regardless of how irritating that can be. They do it every day. This is a calling and a lifestyle that they give themselves over to. And to be this kind of shepherd for the people here requires us to get in each other's business. Yeah. It requires building healthy intimacy and to get up close and personal. You can't know what medicine or stitches or what predators are out there if you're not up close and personal with people. Right. Not advocating for codependency. Advocating for, like, healthy intimacy. Yeah. And when we're in touch with the depravity of our own sin and in touch with Jesus' affection and love for us and his forgiveness of us, we can show how much love, to, uh, like, how much love Jesus has for them to others because we know what it's like. We've been there. We know how to shepherd them and go down that path instead of pointing somewhere and hoping they end up there. Remember when the sinful woman anointed Jesus? He said, because her many sins had been forgiven, she loved much. His grace and forgiveness changed her. She knew the weight of her sin, and he forgave her. Jesus also says, those who have forgiven little, love little. And that cuts to my heart. Peter knew how much he was forgiven when he was at the feet of Jesus. He desperately wanted to be with him. He wanted to love his Lord. And humility precedes re receiving grace. And grace is the agent we should be operating out of. It changes everything. We are called to shepherd the sheep. And there's varying degrees of that for each of us. 
And this means a lot to me because I have been the recipient of tender care and affection from people here and other churches in this church family. The people who have answered my calls at times that I would say were probably inconvenient for them, they assured me it wasn't. The people who paid my bills in college, and now I'm a missionary with focus, so like a lot of people are still paying my bills. Of course, it goes right. (laughs) These people were interruptible. They reciprocated. They called me a friend. They believed the best about me when I was so, so weak and scared. Some of you probably remember a guy named Selvent. One time he had passed out and ended up in the hospital, and I was, I was devastated because I love that weirdo. And um, we didn't know if he was going to live. He had a condition nobody knew about, and Leslie called me the next day because Brad had told her that I was crying a lot whenever the ambulance came. Leslie called me and prayed for me. Leslie's family loves Selvent. We went to the hospital to pray for him, and praise the Lord, he's healed. It had a long-term effect on him. And these people were joyful to do it, and it's countless. And when I am tempted to leave Jesus or pervert his mission with my sin with a sword, I'm humbled by all the people who have been Jesus to me. How could I be tempted to abandon the Lord whose very love gives me breath each second? He's been the most faithful person ever in my life. How could he be so good to keep taking my sin on the cross? When I nail him there, his great love for us, that's why. He loved us first. He awaits us to get up close and personal with him. And how can we know how to be Jesus to each other if we don't allow others to be up close and personal with us? Jesus sees how ugly I am, metaphorically speaking, obviously. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) He sees it. He sees the ugliness in my heart. And he loves me anyway. He doesn't, like, pretend it's not there. Shepherds are often covered in sheep poop. Sheep food, sheep birth, sheep pee, sheep hair, sheep mud, sheep spit, sheep nasty. We'll never be able to tend to each other if we don't get messy. I remember one time in college, I was like super depressed. Like it was just one of my long battles of depression. And you could tell because my room was beyond messy. Like this had no energy. Some of it was like, you know, I needed to pick up my mat and walk. But Hannah Mason came over. Some of y'all know her. And she goes, hey, I just thought I'd stop by. And I was like, no. And she goes, move, let me in. (laughs) She, like, slammed open the door. She had a box of cheese sticks from Little Caesars. And we just sat on my bed. And she just listened to all of my neuroticism. And I'm, like, looking back, I'm like, dang, what what a good friend to just, like, willingly do that. Cheese sticks hospitality (laughs) no on top I remember we cannot love Jesus from a distance to love Jesus is to love him up close and personal and it's to love others up close and personal we got to be in each other's lives each other's homes celebrations sufferings mundane errands etc Mundane Aaron, that would be a, a good nickname for you. <laughs> it's funny because he's like not mundane at all. But okay, next next slide, please. John 21, 17 through 19. Then he said it a third time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was upset that he asked for the third time. Do you love me? So he answered, Master, you know everything there is to know. You've got to know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I'm telling you the very truth now. When you were young, you dressed yourself and went wherever you wished. But when you get old, you'll have to stretch out your hands while someone else dresses you and takes you where you do not want to go. 
He said this to hint at the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he commanded, follow me. What's interesting is that Peter denies Jesus three times and then gets the opportunity to be obedient three times in his love for Jesus. And church legend, like capital C, historical church legend, has it that Peter was crucified and that he was crucified upside down because he didn't consider himself worthy to be crucified right side up like Jesus. And Jesus says in another gospel, those who love me will obey my commands. To obey is to do what he says. It doesn't mean to think like, oh, that sounds nice to me. (laughs) It's not like mentally comforting. Though sometimes it can be that. But to obey in action. Jesus saying when you were young and you dressed yourself and went wherever you wished to, that is like characterizing Peter's youth had freedom. But the older he gets, he has limitations because the older he gets and we get, we have more responsibility to others. Oh, also, you can't really see it, but there's this artist I like on uh, Instagram called Sword and Pencil. So the rest of the slides have an art piece from him. And this one says, for love and action is a harsh and dreadful thing compared with love and dreams. And if you see, this man laying down looks like Jesus. I can't quite tell if that's him. And there's a man up close, giving him water to drink. So what's the trade-off here to go to the cross? The cross, we find ourselves, find our identity in the cross. There's also full life and joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. His joy was us. So whenever you're enduring the metaphorical cross that you're enduring, whatever feels like death or insane restriction or whatever you feel a huge resistance to but you know the Lord is calling you to it, know that there is a human made in God's image whom you are loving on the other side of that cross. A lot of times loving people can be immediately rewarding. But other times it requires long-suffering. Friendship you've been called to, enduring someone else's suffering alongside them, being a peacemaker in the midst of hostile conflict, Mm -hmm. loving people who won't love you back, letting others endure your suffering alongside you. To die on the cross means to give when it hurts, financially, time-wise, Forgiveness that takes a chunk of you with it. And to love first, even if it means rejection. And to speak and receive truth. And sometimes it costs us our dreams for the sake of others. To give up our very lives. But God is so good, it's not just like, all right, this is going to be the worst camping trip of all time. It's like, in that you will find your life. Which one? Oh, that was a long sentence. I will do it for you. Okay. (laughs) No, 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 it's good. Um, To die on the cross often requires a long suffering. Sometimes it's a friendship you've been called to. Uh, Enduring someone else's suffering alongside them. Being a peacemaker in the midst of hostile conflict. Loving people who will not love you back. Letting others endure your suffering alongside you. To give when it hurts, financially, time-wise. To forgive, and to forgive in a way that takes a chunk of you with it sometimes. To love first, even if it means rejection. To speak the truth, and to receive the truth. Sometimes it costs us our dreams for the sake of others, to give up our very lives. The closer we get to Jesus, 
we will find more limitations, but in those limitations we find great love and freedom. And trust that the Spirit is working that out in you if you're obedient. Next slide, please. So this is just another iteration, Mark 8, 34. We read it earlier. So do you love Jesus? And if you do, follow him to the cross. And on the way to the cross, you will store up treasures in your heart and in heaven, and you will truly live. Next slide. So there's a call to die. Think, um, this says tree of life, and it's a picture of Jesus' crucifixion from that same artist. These are things I think we need to nail to the cross. Again, I can't speak to the whole, I don't think the whole church is like, we all have all of these things. Whatever it is for you, whatever the spirit is revealing in you, um, we need to nail them to the cross. Side note, here's what I'm not advocating for. I'm not advocating for codependency and unlimited intimacy and affection on tap from people. People are not your God. You can be codependent on Christ, and that's it. (laughs) Using people in that way and then spurning them the second you don't get it is, frankly, using them like objects to make you feel good. So that's a side note. But the things that I think we should... Consider nailing to the cross. No, not even consider. I think we should just nail them to the cross. Um, our self-consciousness, walking into church, being like, what do people think of me? <laughs> yeah. Do they hate me? Um, self-righteousness, when the emphasis is on the self as opposed to God's righteousness. Mm-hmm. Self-righteousness is often found in being defensive, being easily offended. Um, judging appearances and forming assumptions about what we hear and see from people from a distance, sometimes even up close. Self-protection. I'm speaking generally here, but the people here are not a threat to you. Maybe your comfort, but in general, your self-protection. Jesus didn't do that. Uh, Seeing people in the church as enemies. Arrogance. Thinking you know better than scripture. Intellectualism, you like how I spelled that with a Z? We're like, but what does it mean? I'm like, what is happening in your heart? (laughs) Standing at a distance from others, which is also doubt and distrust. Love always trusts. Love loves first. It doesn't wait to be loved. Keeping a record of wrongs. Impatience and rudeness. Impatience gets me. I'm the most impatient person in the world, which is hilarious because I'm pretty sure all of my friends have endured great patience in being my friend. (laughs) Whatever sinful image of Jesus that you hold, reflect on Peter's evolution with Jesus. Is the image you hold of him belonging to a political party? Bitterness? Envy? which all of this comes from interactions with people. I don't think you're just like, I'm bitter by myself. Like, I think these are a response to the things that we see in people. Envy, resentment, viewing others as problematic instead of taking the plank out of your own eye. And I think a big one, we need to crucify our negative attitude about this church and others in the church. Because if we don't, that will lead to a spiritual death. And it's the yeast of the Pharisees, and it'll eat away at the body. The church is a place for people who build and rebuild, not for people to tear it down because it's an institution. And the shame I talked about earlier, if that, again, if that's springing up for you, nail that to the cross. Yeah. Jesus scorned shame on the cross, so leave it behind. Yeah. Let conviction bring life in you and in other people. Yeah. Next slide, please. I'll read that quote in a minute. I've got some notes here. A call to die so that we may live, really live, experience the fullness of Jesus' life. The church will always be, capital C, problematic because there is sin in it, because there's sin in each of us. And we need to love Jesus by attending to it and tend to each other. We need to be people who pray in each other's houses instead of just via text message. 
Voice memo is fine too. Um, we need to pray over each other in person. We need to weep with one another in person and celebrate in person and do the mundane in person. We need to let people knock on our door and let people into our messy houses, metaphorically and physically speaking. We need to take on the role of initiator. If everyone here was initiating, I don't think anyone would feel left out. Make yourself available to be initiated with, even if it's a month out, and be flexible. Again, don't use people to make yourself feel good. Codependency. Confess your sins to each other and pray to be healed, and then repent of them. Repent requires action. And see this church as full of people who are worthy of God's love and attention and your love, and your time, and your attention. Right. Read scripture instead of Instagram sociology. <laughs> oh, crap. She knows. <laughs> I'm like, I also read Instagram sociology. Have a heart for Jesus and be obedient to his commands. Bypass the offenses of others and move closer to them. Yeah. Now, again, if people are like, don't get any closer. Acknowledge that. That's fine. Don't be like, Shayla said I have to, go, have to do it. No, no, no. But most of the time, you know, Hannah Mason, I don't care. <laughs> have big faith. Faith is in what is not seen but we know is coming. Keep a record of rights. Let this church be your joy, not your obligation that you roll your eyes at, but a place of love that you look forward to. Bring a gift to the altar. Show up for people in person, in small groups, in church, one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. Again, when they are suffering, celebrating, and allow your door to be knocked on. Allow your day to be interrupted and be hospitable. And for the love of God, a one-on-one -on -one does not have to be an hour and a half to four hours at coffee or in my house full of uninterrupted attention. It can be once in a while when you graduate. In college, it's more normal because you have tons of flexibility. It can be that once in a while. That's fine. It can be a movie, a coffee date, a stopping by, a getting groceries, working out together, a walk and talk, a lunch, a breakfast, joining your family for dinner, uh, or talking during dinner prep, cleaning your house together, folding laundry together, a phone call or FaceTime, and scripture can be involved in all of that. Grant actually made these shirts <laughs> for the gym. And it says physical training is of some value. <laughs> and then he cuts the scripture off. And then so many of his friends have it. And they wear it to work out at the gym. <laughs> Beyond a t-shirt slogan, you know, I think you can talk about scripture. But. And then I just, I just want to celebrate all the new moms here, and I appreciate so much how you led us into your homes and your errands. Please stop apologizing for the mess. My house is messy, and I'm just not even going to pretend that I like to clean. Or I do like to clean, but I get distracted so easily. And I'm not even a mom. So, like, please stop apologizing for the mess. And let us fold your baby's tiny, cute little clothes and do your dishes. One time I was with Nicole, she's not even here, and she was like, Jude literally gets so mad if we're not driving in the car right now. <laughs> so we drove around Denton, got Hawaiian bros, then he fell asleep in the car, and we talked in the car because there was no way we were going to get in the way of his nap. And we had a really meaningful one-on-one. -on -one. And I only know all of that because Nicole let me get close enough to see her. Yeah. And I have several stories of like that here of the moms. Brittany Dolores let me come over one time, and Mia was already there. I think she was just doing dishes or helping out with Danilo. Then we ate lunch and tended to Danilo and carried groceries up the stairs. And she's like, I'm sorry about the mess. I'm like, girl, I don't even care. This makes me feel more comfortable, actually. So. <laughs> Dads, I'm sure you're doing great, too. I just don't know because I don't hang out with you. So. <laughs> so this is a quote from Eugene and Eric Peterson. He says, everything, and remember Josh's sermon about um, Jesus tempted in the wilderness or tested in the wilderness. 
everything the devil offered in the desert was a good thing. Food, excitement, a decent government. But everything was also impersonal and acted without love or intimacy or participation. The hallmark of the devil's ways. We cannot follow Jesus and do it in any old way we like. We cannot do the Lord's work in the devil's ways. Doing good work in impersonal ways also seems to be a characteristic of American ways. None of this laboring of love is without the work of the Holy Spirit, so please do not put a millstone around your neck or anyone else's. The message here is that loving Jesus requires everything of you. Feed his lambs, tend to his flock, let this church be your family. Sometimes we have wacky histories with our family, so let's promise to be patient with each other and honor people's decisions. If we all took this heart-level attitude, we would be tended to and looked after. And we must nail our personal ambitions to the cross and our fear of being seen to the cross. And we must really live out faithful love for Jesus for this to happen. This is actually what true leadership and discipleship looks like. Like it or not, every single person in here has influence, and there's no way around it. We are all leading people somewhere, whether we like it or not. And my prayer is that we are leading people to Jesus' love and the cross. This is a call to us for a renewed faith and to dream and enact what our church could become and to lead humbly out of our own weakness. So what is the Spirit asking you to change in order for you to be a shepherd? I have one more slide, I believe. John Tyson says that the table of hospitality is a sacred space of belonging, not criticism and complaint. God is looking for a people that open not just their homes, but their hearts. Yeah? I did. It's okay. <laughs> it was the quote from Eugene Peterson. I'll send it to you. No big deal. Nice. I've been up here a while. I get it. Okay. So I'm going to read the scripture, the message version of John 14, 15 through 21. Jesus says, if you love me, show it by doing what I've told you. I will talk to the Father, and he'll provide you another friend so that you will always have someone with you. The friend is the spirit of truth. The godless world can't take him because it doesn't have eyes to see him. It doesn't know what to look for. But you know him already because he has been staying with you and will even be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming back. In just a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you're going to see me because I'm alive and you're about to come alive. At the moment, you will know absolutely that I'm in the Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. The person who knows my commandments and keeps them, that's who loves me. And the person who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and make myself plain to him. I'm going to pray. Um, Lord, I just pray that you would, that you would just, and I mean empower us to experience your love and affection and to be people who give it away. Pray that you would develop in us a deep love for your word and scripture and the way that it brings life to people. I pray that we would be people who are hospitable, that engage in the very spiritual nature of reconciliation and um, being family to one another. Um, And I pray that you would protect these people from condemnation but would empower them in whatever the next phases of discipleship are there for them. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you, Shayla. That was great. This one of those were like, I mean, I, get, I totally get the nonlinear thinking thing. Uh, I feel the same way. So I would challenge you once we post the audio of Shayla's sermon, things that you heard that you need to rehear to go listen to it and let it do its full work in you and think through it. Um, There's plenty of things there for all of us to to be thinking about more than once. So um, we've got a few announcements for you, not that many. 
And then we've got a little uh, a treat at the end. Uh, we'll do that video at the end, if that's okay with you. So um, the first thing is just the pool party we've been talking about for a while. Every week, it gets closer and closer to being time for the pool party. So do not miss this event. It's going to be the best. Sorry. It's just going to be the best. Yes. <laughs> I love that. That's also, that tank top picture has been in the Wiley newsletter for like a few weeks, and it's just so great. I love it. It's just crazy how you matched on accident, right, you and Cody? It's just like so weird, dude. Um, so please don't miss that event. Uh, it's going to be right nearby in Louisville. And put that on your calendar if you haven't already. Um, the next thing is the Psalm 119 worship night, which will be on August 14th at Grant and Shayla's house. It's going to be awesome. So we'll be like sort of mixing an album listening party with uh, also just a worship and prayer and meditation night. So it's going to be very, very cool. Please don't miss that event as well. Bring a Bible, a, a real physical one, and kind of you can put your devices to the side um, and have an analog night a little bit and something to kneel on and a journal. And, um, yeah, it's just going to be really cool. Please don't miss that. I think it's a really good thing to start having those kinds of events in our um, outside of our church time where we can worship together as well. And then um, the last thing is giving. You can set up a recurring or do a one-time gift on our uh, website at dentonnorthchurch.com slash donate. You can also give on Venmo. And one of the things we had last week um, was the last Saturday, I believe it was, is the Spark Social that we had been announcing for a little while. And we were given a little recap video of some of the weird shenanigans that they got up to at that event. And so... If you're someone who was like, that's not for me, even though I'm in the age group, now you have to sit through watching what you missed and what happened, um, and uh, then we'll close out from there. So watch this video, and then we'll start stacking chairs. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.